Greetings, dear, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Working Experience, a very warm, open-arm audio embrace and a squeeze. This episode is brought to you by my company, One Circle Media. One Circle Media is a hybrid digital agency and media content creator. We create and design apps, websites, videos, social media content, and physical products. We are artists, directors, designers, producers, coders, editors, thinkers, makers, and creators who embrace story and creativity from design, web and app development, animation, docs, features, TV shows, digital and social media content to physical products. For our clients, we create content that builds networks and audiences across multiple platforms. Check out our work at OneCircleDigital.com and OneCircleBrand.com. If you work for a network, studio, brand, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain, reach out to me at John at OneCircleMedia.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Working Experience. The Working Experience. Route 93 North is almost at a standstill. It's a rough one out there this morning. Snow and sleet. There is no service on that. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, Yeah, folks, we're going to be a few minutes. We have train traffic ahead of us. We should be moving shortly. John, we need that report ASAP. Where are we on that presentation? Man, HR wants to see you. Did you return that email yet? We have a team meeting at 10. The state lake ball. Teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) They're moving in a different and after the meeting, we'll have a breakout session. Where are my hot pockets? This microwave is disgusting. Oh, God, what's that? He was wow. living his Sexual toenails at his desk. I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Working Experience Podcast. This is Maddie Kay, uh, rolling solo here. Um, boy, John is tough to get a hold of. You know, I send, like probably five text messages how's it going when do you want a podcast next got some great topics we could cover found some really good articles and he usually responds with yeah exclamation point kind of hard to read i mean talk about crypto my last episode i was talking about cryptocurrency i would i would describe john as cryptic he um Kind of like a Marlon Brando type character. He appears when he wants, and that almost that makes you want his presence more. Maybe that's what he's doing here. I mean, obviously, I'm sitting here talking about him. He's not talking about me. Anyway, enough of our personal psychodrama. Um, I found this interesting article in the Intelligencer, which is uh, under their section called First Person. So this is a, a story written by... Uh, looks like the author is Nathan Rizzer. Uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, or it might be Riser, but there are two S's, so I think it might be Rizzer. Um, and it's titled Goodbye Goldman Sachs. Getting a job there was a dream. The pandem- pandemic changed my perspective. Uh, we've done podcasts. We've done episodes about the mass quitting of jobs, you know, people just walking away. I just saw this woman on CNN this morning who had spent a lot of years being a bar back. Apparently she made pretty good money at it. Um, she got paid five fifteen 
an hour as a base salary plus the tips. She got a cut of the tips. And I guess that was enough to carry, you know, she did it for a long time and she quit. Um, she said, you know, the pandemic had really put a damper on things, but it also made people realize they could ask for more money, better working conditions. She said she was making less money because they had less customers, but then she was being asked to like enforce masking rules and things like that, which she said is not her job. So she finally just left. And a lot of people have been doing that, you know, particularly in um, the uh, hospitality industries, because those, those are tough jobs anyway. You know, you deal with demanding customers and usually you're not getting paid a lot. And I, I think a lot of times employees get squeezed between management and the customers. You know, they're supposed to please the customers and all of that. And yet management will cut back on staff and, you know, they'll tell them you just deal with the employees, keep them, ha or you deal with the customers, you keep them happy, but they're not paying them more. I mean, this whole idea that you pay people more and you get better workers, I don't know, seems to have been lost on industries in the last couple of decades. Like they just kind of expect people to be grateful for the jobs they can get. And that whole thing has been turned on its head. Um, so this, this person's coming at it from a somewhat different perspective. He did work at Goldman Sachs, which is not exactly a minimum wage job. And it really was his, uh, his dream job. He talks about going through the interviews. Uh, he went through eight in total. And um, then he, he was offered the job. And he says, it was one of the happiest moments of my life. I was about to become part of what I felt to me like the world's preeminent financial institution. The team I was joining managed portfolios of alternative assets, predominantly hedge funds and private equity. Okay, I've heard those words before. Really couldn't define them for you. They allocate funds to strategies run by some of the world's greatest investors, which only high net worth individuals or institutions could access. While I didn't have a seat at the table yet, it was exhilarating just to be in the room. So around a lot of wealth, a lot of power, a lot of decision-making. Then he goes on to say, if I had known then that I would walk away from it all within three years without another job lined up in a market of rising graduate unemployment, I wouldn't have believed it. But then there was a pandemic. When the UK went into lockdown in March 2020, I was at my desk at Plumtree Court, Goldman's London headquarters. Many of my colleagues had already chosen to work from home, and I watched the once bustling hub go quiet. For those who remained, there was a last man standing mentality. We would bump into each other in empty hallways and joke about the strange times ahead. The arduous interview process and prestige of Goldman had made the job offer when it arrived all the more meaningful, which I think is probably part of their strategy. You know, the harder it is to get something, the more you want it and the more prestigious it seems. It's like a club. If you put the uh, red velvet ropes out front and two bouncers and they're telling people they can't come in, it creates a line. Um, it was an exciting place to be. My bosses were experts in their fields. They made split-second judgments, their instincts perfectly attuned to the pulse of the markets and their clients' needs. They were doing important work, I thought. And I was trying my best to support them and have my own small piece of the action. The pay was more than most people my age could ever dream of, and I imagined an illustrious career ahead of me. 
If I worked hard, I could progress from analyst to associate to vice president. Maybe one day I would even join the rarefied cohort of Goldman's managing directors and partners. Back then, I was unhappy only in the way I assume everyone who had a job was. So gets the job and is rather unhappy in this job, this job that he had worked very, very, uh, very hard to get. Knowing that ultimately there was probably something else I would rather be doing, something that didn't involve sitting at a desk for long hours every day, filling out spreadsheets, placing trades, listening to conference calls, but I knew I was privileged to be where I was. There's always the, the dichotomy, the irony, like I don't want to be there, but I'm privileged to be there. Like, I don't want to be doing the actual tasks, which are often far less glamorous than people would imagine working at a Goldman Sachs, a Morgan Stanley, whatever. Um, but because it's so hard to get, you feel like you're, it's a privilege to do stuff you don't want to do. Fictional presentations of the industry often veer between extremes. They tend to glamorize or vilify. I repeatedly had to deny to friends and family that my job was anything like the Wolf of Wall Street or the Big Short. Yet these fictionalizations insidiously shaped the way we thought of ourselves at work, feeding the idea that we were part of the most powerful club in the world. I shook hands with Wall Street titans who had inspired characters in the television show Billions. I was on calls with the heroes and villains of the hedge fund world and our clients were the upper tiers of the global elite. The adrenaline of it all kept me going. The most accurate representation of life within the walls of an international investment bank is actually the thriller Margin Call, set on the cusp of the global financial crisis at a firm that closely resembles the one I worked for. Goldman is a quiet place where serious decisions are made and a veneer of calm hides the inherent drama of what is happening beneath. People speak in buzzwords and jargon and poker faces hide what they're really feeling. I had quickly learned to fit in, but during lockdown, my shell wore thin. My ability to put on a front was tested to its limit and eventually failed. So margin call. I think I've seen parts of that on YouTube. That does look pretty good. The first thing I noticed when I started working from home was how important the in-office perks at Goldman had become. I realized from the confines of my flat that the firm's luxurious 850,000 square foot headquarters had served as an inspiration and an anchor. The imposing wall of marble when you enter through one of the three ground floor entrances. The American, European, and UK flags flying high above. And the medical center where nurses, doctors, dentists, physiotherapists, and psychotherapists sit ready to serve the immediate needs of 6,000 very important, very busy people. Wow, they actually have an on-site uh, medical center. I would not have thought that. I especially like the on-site gym. The firm provides employees with athletic gear, so all you need to bring are toiletries, sneakers, and stress to sweat out. If I ignored the grunts, from the traders deadlifting twice my body weight and the ex-Olympians generating mind-boggling amounts of wattage on stationary bikes, I could see what Goldman was all about. There's something about striving to achieve the exceptional alongside others, whether by working late nights in the office or putting in hard hours in the gym, that pulls people together. So I guess that is the value. You know, you can say rather cavalierly, well, you can do your job from home, but... 
Um, that's true, but there's something a lot different about sitting in your bedroom on your laptop from being around all these people, you know, who are very powerful, very confident, uh, or seemingly very confident, and they have their, you know, $2,000 suits on, and, and all these perks. Of course, you have to wonder why a company has to provide all these perks. I mean, if they're paying you so much money to begin with, and they feel like they have to supply all these perks, it kind of makes me think there's something wrong with the job itself. And I continue. That can't happen in a virtual environment. It might sound trite, but working out with my colleagues in our matching navy blue shorts and t-shirts, I felt I belonged to something greater than the sum of emails, PowerPoints, and spreadsheets that filled my days. In a firm obsessed with image and reputation, the gym felt like a place where people were themselves. That's the kind of pragmatism financial institutions operate on. Soft touches keep the scales ever so finely tipped in the right direction. Sitting in my flat on seemingly endless Zoom calls, the scales started to unbalance. So I guess the gold plate comes off. High finance, like many high-octane industries, requires extreme dedication to the job. The flip side of this is that everything unrelated to work or performance can seem trivial. I never met anyone at Goldman who yelled at juniors or bragged about their money. Those behaviors are generally looked down upon. But even before the pandemic, there was sometimes a ruthless efficiency to the workplace interactions. One day, I ran into a managing director I knew at the T-Point and asked how things were going. I'm making a cup of coffee, she replied before walking off. Oh, I guess the T-Point is the, this is in London, so I, the T-Point, I guess, is their break room. I'm making a cup of coffee. I guess that was it, you know, just that's what I'm doing and that's it. No, no time for chit chat. Lockdown exacerbated this dynamic. Physically separated from colleagues, work became more and more transactional. Unsurprisingly, perhaps, when you're trying to fit 30 hours of work into a 14 hour day, among the first things to go are please and thank you. And this was compounded when the main method of communication was via computer screen. Without the camaraderie and perks of office life, I realized I had become a simple input-output money-making machine. Deliverables that normally had 24-hour turnarounds were expected before lunch on the same day. Normal business hours were scrapped as seniors moved their schedules to fit their personal needs. Some logged on at 5 in the morning, others slogged it out until midnight, and juniors like me were caught in between. Quality of life deteriorated for us in all different ways. My peers were pulling 100-hour weeks in cramped apartments with no ability to blow off steam at the pub. Senior staff had to generate revenue while taking charge of their children's education and dealing with an increasingly demanding book of clients. This was the case in many companies, but in February 2021, the well-being of Goldman employees became a hot topic after a group of junior analysts presented their managers with a survey decrying their working conditions. Wow, that's a bold move. Uh, these are not union folks. The slide deck leaked and prompted a burst of scrutiny from the outside world. David Solomon, Goldman CEO, applauded the analysts for speaking out and pledged to step up enforcement of this Saturday rule that is meant to safeguard time from 9 p.m. 9 p.m. on Fridays. Good Lord. I thought he was going to say 4 p.m. until Sunday morning. Aren't you supposed to have the weekend? 
But he also said, just remember, if we all go an extra mile for our client, even when we feel we're reaching our limit, it can really make a difference in our performance. That is, I think, actually a contradiction in terms. It was as though, even when he was trying to prove that Goldman cared about our well-being, he couldn't help but remind us to push past our limits, which we actually can't do. To remember that a rule was a rule right up until a client needed something extra. So like, right, we won't, 9 p.m. on Friday, I'm in bed by 8 o'clock. And Saturdays and Sundays, I mean, come on now, you know, this is, of course, these people are getting paid a lot of money. I guess that would be the flip side. Like, what are you complaining about? You know, there are people working two, three jobs and they don't get gyms at their workplaces and they don't have access to on-site medical care and all of that. Some banks reacted to the media storm by throwing money at the problem. They raised salaries, bought Peloton bikes for staff, or handed out ad hoc bonuses. It was a pyrrhic victory for the young analysts whose slide deck had cried out for a change in working practices and culture, not a boost to their already exceptional pay packets or exercise equipment that could barely fit into their bedrooms. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's just throwing money at the... Pro well, I guess that's their culture. They just throw more money at it, you know. They figure no matter what your complaints or, you know, we'll just throw more money at you. But honestly, like, you can't pay somebody to run three marathons in a row. I mean, most of us, like, if someone offered me... 10 million dollars to run three back-to-back -back marathons I couldn't do it I mean the money would be irrelevant just because I, I couldn't do it I might try to force myself to do it but I couldn't do it a few of those working in upper management told juniors this was simply the way things were done 100 hour weeks last minute requests were the modus operandi of the financial sector we could accept it or get out yeah you know fair enough this response and its implicit message that the issues were structural, structural, not a result of the pandemic, was pivotal for me. I realized I had been naive, kidding myself that a job at Goldman was about anything other than enriching clients, enriching Goldman, and in the process, enriching myself. And that's fair enough. As long as you know that, I, I get tired of people expecting their jobs to provide their life's fulfillment. Like, as long as you know what it is going in, and if you say, look, I'll deal with this, but you got to pay me more money. And they say, fine, okay. Um, again, that's not really the way my brain operates. You know, it's just throwing money at things isn't always the answer, but they live in a money world. I mean, their world is entirely motivated by profit. There's no sense of like creating stuff or, you know, I don't think there's really much in the way of fulfillment other than the money and what it can buy you. So, there's a certain honesty in that. I hadn't been lying when I told the interviewer about training for ultra marathons. Aside from teaching me about the real nature of my job, the pandemic forced me to see my own problematic, at times destructive relationship with achievement. Now, I do not have that relationship with achievement. In my first year at Goldman, I had taken a week's holiday to climb Mount Elbrus in Russia, Europe's tallest mountain. When I got back to London, having reached the summit in one 18-hour push, I was exhausted but threw myself straight back into work. I spent a week 
in a complete haze until I felt so depleted. I went to the on-site GP, that's the general practitioner, I guess, who sent me immediately to the hospital for blood tests. I'm, I'm not sure me and Nathan would be taking a vacation together. I was fine, but the hour I sat in a private room waiting for results felt like the most relaxing 60 minutes of my life. No phone, no emails, no pressure to make up for lost time outside the office. Just being, which is what I preach here at the Working Experience. Just be. We don't have to be human doers. We can be human beers. How do you like? Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to write that one down. Give me one second here. When the brilliance flows, I, I got to capture it. I got to. I got to harness it. Human doers does not equal human beers. All right, I'm gonna. I'll. I'll be workshopping this. Okay. Don't worry about it. I know it's not a hundred percent right now. I'm gonna workshop it. Okay. Uh, let's see. At the time, I didn't learn my lessons. Some months later, I started training for a 60-mile ultra marathon. Good gravy. On race day, I managed 45 miles before dropping out. God, what a... Only 45 miles. What's up with you, Nathan? Spending the next month nursing sore muscles, a sense of defeat, and a set of blackened toenails. Ugh. What What I did to my body could be repaired. What I was doing to my mental health, meanwhile, took longer to discover. Throughout my time at Goldman, like all employees, I had my ups and downs and moments of extreme stress. I wasn't the best at dealing with it. I suffered bouts of depression that, at their worst times, led to suicidal thoughts and sessions with the on-site psychiatrist. The first thing the psychiatrist told me was that I wasn't alone, that many employees sought counseling. Well, that should tell you something right there. I don't, you know, it's like if you need to see a psychiatrist to keep going in your job. I mean, I can see if you're a, you know, doctor without borders person and, you know, you're literally saving lives and, and you do have to look after your own mental health. Um, working at Goldman isn't exactly that. I think Nathan would agree, obviously, because he left. That made sense, I thought at the time. Goldman employees are exceptionally driven and hardworking. But when I read the leaked analyst survey, I felt others had put into words what I hadn't been able to. On the penultimate page is a list of quotes from junior employees. One in particular hit home. My body physically hurts all the time and mentally I'm in a really dark place. I realized there was a connection between the way I was working and how I felt. Very true. It was hard for me to admit to myself that I was suffering mental health problems. When you've had it drilled into you that you're a winner that you are at your desk because you're the best and that any obstacle can be overcome if you just work hard enough. Any admission of weakness becomes taboo. But I realized that for me, the Goldman lifestyle was playing with fire. It seemed darkly comic that the department responsible for my well-being was called human capital management. Yeah, that is ominous. As though... We were ourselves little widgets to be paid, worked, move about, and repaired when broken. In March 2021, I burned out. Between my managers, our team's hundreds of clients, and counterpart teams in the U.S. and Asia, I was juggling demands at all hours of the day. Turnaround times were increasingly tight. Deadlines had been short to start with, the philosophy being that the work would get done faster, even if the target wasn't met. 
but a year into the pandemic, it felt as though everyone had lost touch with reality in terms of what was reasonable. After one of the most stressful two-week periods of my life, I broke down and sent an email to my bosses saying I was struggling and needed time off. The response was admirable. My bosses acted like the people I had missed over the pandemic year, and human capital management stepped in with a list of resources, emphasizing that I should only return when ready. I took five days off, went for long walks, decompressed, but my mindset fundamentally changed. I looked at my bank account and saw I didn't need to worry in the short term. I looked at myself and thought health comes before everything. When I resigned, I don't think anyone was surprised. One of my bosses started planning my work handover. <laughs> Isn't that nice? The other told me I was doing the right thing. On the day I left, I went into the office one last time. Around a third of my team had trickled back in. I took the card everyone had signed that said, sorry, you're leaving, grabbed the detritus from my work desk, and walked out. I wish I could say all my worries melted away, but I was scared. While it's a high-stakes, risk-loving industry, finance is also one of the safest places an indebted, uncertain graduate can end up. As I stood up, as I stood at an empty underground station, months of feeling there was no route out of the career I had so enthusiastically signed up for came flooding back. I got on the train and told myself that however long it took, I was starting over. I was going to stand on escalators, resisting the urge to run for as long as it would take to become myself again. Well, wow, this is a very poignant story. Uh, and, you know, you don't know what it is until you do it. I mean, you can always fault people, you know, about the jobs they take in hindsight. But um, some people really like doing that kind of stuff. They really love the stress and 100-hour weeks. Uh, I would have had a complete mental meltdown at the end of week one would have been fired for incompetency. So I certainly admire people like Nathan who can do these things and who can run 45 miles and climb tall peaks and, and do all those things. It's very admirable, but you also have to be honest with yourself. If it's wrecking your health, then how is it worth it? You know, I mean, you can't enjoy all that money if, uh, if your health is ruined and your mental state is ruined and you get up every day feeling like, you know, the roof is going to collapse. So I just thought I'd read that. I thought it was very interesting. We talk about this a lot on the working experience. Um, here's somebody who has actually experienced it. And uh, I'd like to thank Nathan for writing that. It was very informative. All right, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening. And we'll be back at you real soon. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Working Experience. We'd like to thank our sponsors, One Circle Media. If you work for a studio, network, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain your audience, reach out to me at john at onecirclemedia.com. I would love to hear from you. And that's it. The end. The sweet end. Until our next audio encounter.